0: Um, in, a, in a space like this, there's a, a little bit of an invitation, I think, to be a little more personal in terms of, like, you know, what, to, what do we feel about this? And um, So last week, my little teaching part was more heavily theological, and uh, this week I'm kind of taking the opposite approach and just kind of gathering up pieces, and you'll see from those pieces a little bit of how... Um, what it means for somebody like myself to ha- hold the view that I hold, mm. um, and how I have done that as a pastor uh, for all the years I was a pastor in, a, in churches that did not hold that view. Mm. Um, even when the majority of my time as pastor, I, I held a different view, but, but didn't necessarily do much about that, which mm. I'll get to. Mm. Um, so, we're going to have... Stuff from books and news stories, and it's all just going to be a mess, but hopefully... (laughs) CBC article last week. Sierra Dixon, who identifies as queer, had been attending the Evangelical Free Church Regina Kids Club, along with her siblings, since she was a little girl. She'd aged out of the kids program. She's 15 now. She's 14 at the time of the incident that the article describes. She'd aged out of the program and become a volunteer leader. Sounds about like how church goes. Mm -hmm. But on September 17th of this year, Sierra Dixon, who was just 14 at the time, and she was a leader of the the children, one of the many kid leaders herself, um, was called into a meeting with the group leader, and she was confronted about her sexuality. Mm -hmm. She was carrying a water bottle, I've just got a black and white picture of it, but there's a rainbow sticker on it and it says love has no limits. This was apparently what instigated the, the need of this supervisor to call her in to speak. The leader went on to describe how uh, certain like, sexual orientations were, in their words, demonic. And she was read repeatedly as a 14-year-old girl alone in the office with this leader, the female leader, uh, verses about sinners. Uh, Sierra says, she didn't call me outright demonic, but she implied it because she thinks that she can pray the gay out of me. Sierra's grandfather reached out to the church to voice his outrage, and they did sometime fairly soon after receive a written response. I'll read you a portion of it. We want you to know that the church board is in complete agreement that LGBT persons are certainly welcome to come into this church. Actually, welcoming LGBT persons is nothing new for us. However, the organization of the church does require that a person in a position of leadership be a servant of Jesus Christ and nothing else. So said the letter. Um, So... Dixon goes on to point out that she's pretty sure that it was her water bottle that
1: mm-hmm.
0: caused the ruckus. Um, so that happened just a few weeks ago.
1: I'm
0: not describing motivation to, to the people. Um, but And it made the news.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And probably some people would say, oh, if this is evidence that the media is anti-Christian or something like that. Uh, The second thing I wanted to look at, so that, yeah, well, you can figure out why I might share that. The second thing is problem passages. We we were probably going to spend more time than we have here. Um, So I just want to blitz through again. There are seven or six verses, depending on how you divide them up that directly reference apparently directly reference homosexuality in in our scripture Old and New Testament total Um, and we've been told they mean a certain thing Um, and we've talked about those words the Bible says Genesis 19 is the first occasion you know it Sodom and Gomorrah so much interpreted in a particular way that words like sodomy in other words, have come to take on certain meanings. And then growing up as a young person, you might have been told that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of homosexuality. Well, if you were told that, that was terrible biblical scholarship and interpretation by the person who told it to you. Because the Bible itself actually tells us why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed in, in Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50 say, Behold... This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Ready? She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. It goes on to call this an abomination, this lack of hospitality. So people who may have used that word abomination with you skipped those verses I just read an attached abomination to what they were describing as homosexuality. It's dishonest biblical scholarship. Leviticus 18 and 20, you get some. You've got to be careful with Leviticus and the rules because if you wanted to follow the Levitical rules, we'd be in trouble here. <laughs> but certainly the ones that seem to say, like a man lay with a man, and and it's again, there's no, no notion of speaking about females here, that comes up only one place actually in, in scripture. But what is, what it, from those Levitical laws, what's been told to me at times, or you, as pertaining to homosexuality and homosexual acts or behaviors, seems clearly to have more to do with certain temple sexual rites, a mix of religion and, and sex that had certain expressions. Um, The Old Testament scholars, just hearing one speak on this a few weeks ago, um, basically said, like a very responsible Old Testament said, yeah, that's the problem with that text, we don't really know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Timothy and Corinthians, these are now New Testament, of course. So in Corinth and in Ephesus, and we briefly mentioned that those are passages where that's where you get homosexuality in lists, right? Not this, not this, not this, not this. Um, disobedient to your parents, greedy, these kinds of things. That, lots of things like greed that we actually turn into virtues now. But for some reason, we hold on to one of them as can't go to a church if they. And in that, that word there is translated in the Greek word there, pederasty, which means at least something different. Than, than we think of when we're talking about same-sex attraction, same-sex marriage, those kinds of things. In most most interpreters will say that that had to do with a hierarchical relation of dominance, mm-hmm. one over the other. Often a man with boys, that was in that in the, in some cultures taken as a status symbol or something.
1: Like that,
0: um, so that's. I, I I'm a little bit reticent to do this because I feel like we're we're playing on the field of of the let's check that one let's check that one let's check that one but but the reason we do this is these have been used by people who are open on the on these kinds of matters tend to call these the clobber verses
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you could know why because those are the ones you're going to get clobbered with
1: mm-hmm.
0: so I don't know that it's necessarily the best way to approach this is to is to clobber back.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: as I've just done but I'm upset I'm upset that I was told this means this and, and it was a bit disingenuous or ill-advised I'll go with the charitable one and say the second mm-hmm. Romans one's the toughest one mm-hmm. Patty and I have spoken about this and Patty helped me with this and directed me to some resources Romans 1, I'm going to read it a little bit more mm-hmm. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. Therefore God here's, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, dishonoring their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshipped and served creature rather than the creator God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men did likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You could imagine how this would be used by by people. The problem with this text is the rest of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know when people do arguments and say like immigrants um, so now let's talk about someone who is is fighting for compassionate immigration policy so in in moving you there they go like I know what they say about immigrants they say they're disgusting they're rapists Mm. some I assume are good people right but it's one thing for someone who is attacking immigrants to use arguments like that, but often the person on the other side will say, this is what you think about immigrants. That's what's being said out there. Romans chapter 2. This is literally verses later. It's actually right after this. Um, I read to you verses like up to like 26, 28, and the chapter has 32 verses, and then Romans chapter 2 says this. Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who judges, if you're gonna judge somebody else, you condemn yourself. Do you see what's actually happening in your moments? They're not using this, look how terrible all those other people are to push you away from those people. They're using, I know how terrible you think those other people are, using that as an argument to say that we are all the same. There is none better than the other. Which makes sense in the rest of the book because the book is about law and faith. Right? What this means. How we're justified. In Romans 14.1, so now we're chapters later. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. So that's another little piece, One other, a couple more. Truly evangelical theology, so evangelical I'm using in the word, uh, trying to recover the sense of the word as good news instead of a political mm-hmm. uh, bank or group. Truly evangelical theology is modest. It doesn't have to declare itself. It doesn't have to scream warning and fear. Um... And so much stuff around this issue to me has been people issuing warnings and fear and if this happens, then we can't... Let all kind of these... It doesn't look like faith to me. It looks like fear. Pope Francis, years ago, I think he was speaking into his crew, said that moral rigidity is always hiding something. He actually said, no exceptions. Moral rigidity is always hiding something. And here's where you're going to get me. I'll tell you that I'm upset and then I'll close. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There were people, most of them well-meaning and some of them just grumpy and angry. But the grumpy and angry ones were raised up in leadership a lot. People who became self-appointed moral leaders and they were the ones who would tell everybody else what was wrong and what was right. It's when I think about that that I think moral rigidity. I'm not trying to say those people were hiding something, but there's some moral rigidity there. So now a quote from a book. Miriam Taves, Kim quoted this in a sermon, I think you're giving mm-hmm. her some. Miriam Taves in a book called Fight Night. It's, it's a book, so you're a Canadian author, Mennonite background. Um, and the book is a, a grandmother, a mother, and a daughter. So three generations of women. Young daughter, I think only like 12 years old or something, or 10 years old. But um, they had been raised in, a, the, the mother and the grandmother particularly had been raised in like a, a very strict Mennonite colony with some of these leaders. And they would go from house to house and they would tell you as a young mom and family and young parents what your kids were doing wrong. Including things that you didn't think were wrong, but you know they had moral standing, and they were they were those kinds of leaders. there, there was a name given to one; I mean, he must have been in their community. It's fictional, but but not fictional. Willet Braun. and the grandmother just rails against all these Willet Brons. Here's what she says: She's talking to the grandmother or the granddaughter. They took the beautiful things right under our noses, crept in like thieves replaced our tolerance with condemnation, our desire with shame, our feelings with sin, our wild joy with discipline, our agency with obedience, our imagination with riles, like with fearful annoyance. Every act of joyous rebelling with crushing hatred, our impulses with self-loathing, our empathy with sanctimoniousness, threats, cruelty, our curiosity with isolation, willful ignorance, punishment, all of those willet bronze, she says, they robbed us blind. First time I heard that I was listening to an audiobook, I, I was in tears. They stole our souls. They hung out their shingles as soul savers, even as they were destroying them. They replaced our love, our joy, our emotions, our tragedies, rage, sorrow, violence, lust, desire. Sorry, am I embarrassing you? She says to her granddaughter. I think they're on a plane or something when she's doing this. Well, they burnt it all down. They took all those things and they replaced them with evil and guilt. Oh, my God. They took our life force, And so we fight to reclaim it. We fight and fight. We fight to love. We fight for access to our feelings. We fight for access to God. Here's the one that stood out for the most. They stole God from us. So, I just wanted to let you know, I'm so grateful for people that were so significant in my life. Nothing but grateful. But I'm also upset. And I'm willing to say that to you because you might be a bit too. What I do with that, you know, I don't want to hurt or don't want to... But I I realized I had people that I listened to who either didn't tell me this is my point of view but there's another way of seeing it. They said it was God's way, only way. And either they knew there was another point of view and they wouldn't say that or they didn't know and yet claim to be experts. So to end the the um, we're okay with scientific progress in the Bible. I don't think most of you demand that there's a flat Earth, but our scriptures work according to a flat Earth. Even if I settle on the what far side of the sea, you're with me. Joshua prays and. The sun stands still as a miracle. So we've gone, well, scientifically, we know better than then. I'm going to say something quite... I think we need to do the same morally. The peak of morality is not a misinterpreted scripture verse. It's Jesus Christ. The one who loved and accepted all. And there's been a lot of moral progress. Last thing I'll say and to Kim is, one of the things that helped me as we were working through this was um, a professor out at VST, young guy. He's got six degrees, this guy. He's, okay. um, he's the new prof of Anglican formation, such and such, and a biblical scholar. He, he was saying, it's a bit fanciful idea, but he was saying we, we were working on something together, and he said, you know, I know that the Old Testament doesn't have a clear concept of soul, really doesn't have much of a concept of soul at all. The New Testament is not really clear. He said, from my reading of Scripture and my prayer and my faith, he said, I've come to think that the soul is the place where, are you, where you are most you and where you are known by God there. That compels me forward in a positive way, but I was willing tonight to let you know that i I do get upset too
1: <laughs>
0: because I think there was always a better way on this, and uh, it wasn't always we weren't always told
2: okay. yeah thank you. Yeah, thank you. So this next little bit is going to be a little bit more um, theological or um, academic, I don't know. But hopefully it will be helpful to you. Um, some of what I'm going to say will touch on some things that we've already talked about in previous talks. Um, but hopefully even if this is your only talk, it'll, it'll make some sense to you. So it's this question about the origin of same-sex attraction. What causes same-sex attraction. How we answer that question determines where we end up. So there's a scientific answer, right? And there's a theological answer. So the scientific answer would be, well, uh, you're gay because of uh, social social factors, social slash environment. And that's what a lot of scientists used to think. Not very many do anymore, to be honest. Uh, so social environmental factors like, oh, you're gay because you were traumatized as a child or because you have this disrupted relationship with the same-sex parent, those <clears throat> kinds of things. Um, that's, that's what various therapists, scientists thought. Um, no longer do many people ascribe to that. Or they would say it's much more complex than that. So, the other factor is is that it's innate. It's it's influenced by genetics, by your birth order, by the hormones in your in your mom. Uh, even brain scans that they do indicate that, that brain structures of people who are gay or trans are, they're they're different. Like it's it's physiologically, it's 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 in you. It's it's in your body something that you're born with. It's innate. What causes same-sex attraction? Is it social? Is it environment? Maybe, but most science indicates it's much more complex than that, that it's more likely to be inborn. And that's, you know, I'm not a scientist, but that's my understanding of of what I've read. So that's a little bit about the scientific origins, okay? But then there's also a a theological answer. What causes same-sex attraction? Well, we live in a fallen world, somebody would say. And even that is not enough of an answer. Because there are actually a couple of different types of fallenness that you could attribute same-sex attraction to. Moral fallenness or natural fallenness. So if you say, oh, it's, it's a, same-sex attraction is, a, is, a, is because of moral fallenness, that's basically you saying... We're sinners. We struggle with sin. Our desires are distorted. And so same-sex orientation fits into this category. We're morally fallen, including those of us who are LGBTQ. Uh, you could base that theological reason in a text like Romans 1, right? You could say, oh, people have chosen this. They've chosen to turn away from God. This is a, this is a sign of rebellion. Um, <clears throat> just a little side note the gay Christians that I know do not resemble the people that Paul describes in Romans 1 I mean don't get me going on that but they're not in rebellion against God The, the, the gay Christians that I know are faithful Jesus loving people so moral fallenness is a possible category um not the only fallenness category um some people who are gracious, if they, if they understand same-sex attraction and the moral fallenness category, they might say something like, well, okay, sure, I mean, being gay might be sinful, but we all sin. I mean, you know, everyone sins, so why are we focusing on this sin? And that's, that's not a bad argument, but it, it is still saying that, that being gay is a sin, and being straight isn't, apparently, so... Anyways, that's a little bit about a moral fallenness category. But there's also natural fallenness. Why are some people gay? Somebody might say, well, because we live in a fallen world and nothing is as it should be. Our bodies are fragile. <coughs> some of us are born in ways that, that are not entirely, uh, like our bodies don't function the way that they were meant to. Some people are, are born with an extra finger or a, a cleft palate or, or other kinds of disabilities. So some people understand same-sex attraction in that category. It's morally neutral, but it's less than ideal. And again, to go back to something that we talked about in previous week, that's maybe where the whole creation ordinance stuff comes from, right? Some people are like, oh, well, creation ordinance, that means this is how it was meant to be. Adam and Eve in the garden, heterosexual couple, that's the ideal. That's how it's meant to be. And we don't live lives that are ideal because we're fallen in some some things are less than ideal, including same-sex attraction. So your options are, if, if you attribute uh, same-sex attraction to because of the fall, you're either saying, okay, so it's, it's attributed to moral fallenness, which means basically being gay is a sin, or, or a gay activity is a sin. That's up for debate as to whether the orientation is sinful or the activity is sinful, but either way, it's, it's in that category or same-sex attraction orientation is like a disability. There's another option. <laughs> and that is, wh- why are some people gay? Just because of human variation. Just like, you know, I have brown hair, and Janine has blonde hair, and Abby has, is left-handed, and I'm right-handed. It's just, just diversity. <laughs> it's just because of how some people are born. And it's not even one is better than the other, it just is. So you have the scientific reasons, you have the theological reasons. Your eyes glazing over yet, you all still with me? Mm-hmm. Different combos create different responses. I'm all, I was almost gonna get cards and like deal emoji. Okay, this card and this card equals this. This card and this So one option is causation related to social and environmental plus moral fallenness which means basically you're gay because you were traumatized or because of some distorted relationship with a parent and you chose it right that's the scientific and the theological so then the response is well oh, you can change it you repent you you pray you have counseling You watch sports (laughs) (laughs) Um, and over time it changes. So you're laughing but people were told that. And conversion therapy was a thing that people tried for a long time uh, and still is. Uh, Exodus International, we talked about this the, the first evening, it was this international organization that tried earnestly for decades to pray the gay away and they had to admit defeat in the early 2000s. And their president apologized saying, I've not seen change. So that's option one. Option two, inborn causation, that means something innate, you were born with it somehow Plus moral fallenness, meaning theologically, it's it's a sin. It's a little bit better. Um, change isn't possible, but but at least um, you're going. We're going to be compassionate towards you. We're going to probably, as the church, say that you need to be celibate, and we're just mostly going to tell you not to have sex and then not really say anything else about it. Um, but it's a little better because there's at least a recognition that, that we're not going to try and change you we're just going to tell you that, that you can't have any sexually intimate relationships uh, and, there's a whole, and we could do a whole Bible study or an evening event on celibacy maybe that can be next week, we'll do that next week. <laughs> um, but we can look at the Bible at what the Bible says about celibacy and, and there's some interesting things there what Jesus says about celibacy is also pretty important here but I won't go into that That's another option, though, option two, and and I want to say I I I maybe you heard me speak with a bit of a dismissive tone. I I um, I think that a lot of people can hold that view with some integrity if they have some conviction about what they think Scripture says. That that same sex attraction is not God's design, um, and yet to understand what it means for someone who is gay to be told that, and and to need a place to belong, mm-hmm. to have compassion and, and to come around someone um, because, of, because of their um, innate way. We could do better. at, at if, if that is our stance, we could do far better at having compassion and, and care. Um, the third option is uh, inborn causation. That means scientifically, we understand this is just your, how you are. Your brain's different the hormones in your mom's womb are in a certain way. It doesn't change, right? That plus human variation theologically. It's just, oh, God's a creative God. He makes all kinds of people. Then then it's acceptance and celebration of diversity. I've gone through a whole bunch of material really quickly, but um, hopefully those categories, maybe you can locate yourself in one of those categories. And I apologize if I sounded dismissive about some of them. Um, I do think the first option it is problematic because it's it's not paying attention to to what we understand scientifically now, like the flat Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's far more complex than 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 attributing a, a, a sexual orientation to to trauma and to a conflicted relationship with the parent. Uh, but even those of us who might go with option three, that that inborn causation and human variation. Uh, I don't think we've been very good at accepting and celebrating diversity, in, in anything. thing. Uh, we are suspicious of difference, just innately. We've misdiagnosed and mistreated all kinds of human variation as illness or fallenness, including left-handedness, actually. Mm-hmm. We've come a long way <laughs> regarding that. Thank goodness no one forced my daughter, who is left-handed, to try and use her right hand to write. Mm-hmm. But the suspicion of difference, I've, I've come to realize, even as I've been thinking about it, it's, it's like, oh, this, this suspicion of difference, this, this superiority, um, like, b- because I'm, I'm within the norm, that, that's, that's behind so many of the colonialist and racist practices that we're, that we're part of today. any of these options i think we we are faced with the need to repent of the ways that we have harmed and sought to change those who are gay the way that we've excluded and ignored and judged and shamed or, or just not even seen them right if, if i'm struck by anything about the beautiful story that that sam and alex both told us is that sense of them in places, including church, being invisible, like not not they weren't spoken to or liked, but that there was a part of themselves that that was not acknowledged or, or seen. So just to take a moment um, and just invite you just in a moment of silence, like just to consider the the options there. Those that option one, option two, and option. Three, like where I not ask, and I'm not going to ask you to share, but just where, where might, where do you fit there? Which, which option do you think, given what you've heard? Where, where do you find yourself? And again, I don't need you to answer, but just to give you a chance to reflect. My final sentence there is a bit cryptic. I, I would have made it clearer if I'd had a chance to revise it. I say choosing option two or three requires repentance on behalf of the church. Um, what I mean to say is, I, I'm assuming that option one it isn't an option, to be honest. Um, but if we live into option two or option three, we still, I think all of us need to change our thinking. I need to change my thinking, let me say it that way. But I have not been inclusive enough in my thinking, in my acting, in my being. Um, and these verses... Uh, Cut to the heart of that for me, these these two sets of verses that I have, and the, the emphasis, of course, and the bold is, is my own. Um, and I remind you, last week, some of the t- stuff we talked about in terms of the ethics of Jesus, how Jesus does ethics. Mm. And these words, hopefully, will, will remind you of that if you were here last week. Jesus says uh, in Luke 11, verse 42 and 46, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. That interpretive key that I talked about last week, there it is right there. justice and the love of God. The key to all of God's laws. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. I don't want for God to accuse me of neglecting justice and the love of God in this matter, friends. And you experts in the law, woe to you, Jesus says, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Friends, I I think that's what we've done with people who are gay. I've done. Burdens that they can hardly carry. Burdens that they were not meant to carry. Those are the words of Jesus to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law and and to me. And here are Jesus' words to all of us in Matthew 11. And here's the burden language again, but isn't it so different? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, I went to another church on Sunday afternoon. I went to my small church in the morning and then I went to uh, my friend, my new friend Beth, who is a incredibly gifted, articulate pastor I went to Beth's church on Sunday. Beth Carlson Molina is um, a woman who grew up in the church. Her dad's a pastor, was a pastor in the Canadian Baptist of you know, Western Canada. And during her time at Regent College, she discovered she was gay. And so she has lived out that calling as a pastor in an in a unconventional way. And she's planted a church called the Open Way Church and they, you've heard me talk about it a little bit. Uh, I so admire but what they, what they do, they are entirely affirming, welcoming church. And so Matt and I went to uh, the open way on Sunday afternoon. And I, got, I wore this sweater because I got my little sticker, my little she-her sticker that they gave me. When I got in the door, I got to choose which pronoun I was, identified, I was going to identify myself with. And um, one of the songs that we sang, I brought the bulletin with me because I wanted to read it to you. Um, Beth was leading worship that day. And uh, one of the songs that she led in is an old hymn. I I never sang it, mostly because I grew up in the Catholic church. I heard the voice of Jesus say. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, To hear this song sung in a room full of small but mighty people who have been harmed and excluded by the church... Led by a gay pastor, the woman sitting beside me was singing. They were all singing, but hear these words and think about all those who have been harmed by the church or those who would exclude themselves before the church even had a chance to harm them. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one. Lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in Him a resting place, and He has made me glad. I I don't know how I can stand before Jesus, and say that I participated in preventing people from hearing this invitation to say, oh no, you have, to, you have to do something first before you can hear those words from Jesus. I don't want to be a part of putting a burden on someone without helping them to carry it. I don't want to neglect justice and love. And I'm not, and I could be wrong, but if I'm going to err on any side, I, I need to err on the side of extending God's invitation widely. Uh, and that's where I am. And um, I think that's
0: all
2: I have to say. Thank <laughs> you.
0: You're welcome. I have a Bible. I have a Bible quote to start with before we turn to our esteemed guest, who I will introduce to you in just a couple of minutes, or in less than a minute. Um, Kim is reading the woes to the Willet Bronze. Um, to a certain pharisaical way you know the other one or one of them that's included in there woe to you you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and then you turn him into twice the son of hell that you are says our lord he was harsher on them than grandma all those will it bronze but that was pertaining to the last section not this one um and uh, I don't have to introduce Patty Duclo to you because Patty Duclo, uh is uh, more than part of Cap Church, um, but has graciously uh, agreed to come and speak with us from first of all just Patty's own experience in church ministry, teaching, psychology, um, and and. Uh, and then from the experience of, of what it means to be part of a church and what it means to lead a church um, around some of these matters. So we've got questions, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of go all over the place a little bit. And then you'll have an opportunity to, to ask and speak and comment as well, I think. Um, so uh, Patty and I have met a number of times, not just in preparation for this, mostly not in preparation for this, but it's been a great joy for me. Um, being a pastor at another church and from a distance uh, for for some of the same years um, in in ministry like together on the north shore mm-hmm. but even in those four or five times we've met um, it makes sense this out of seeing uh, i'll say this <laughs> seeing patty's heart in a way that i couldn't have seen before mm-hmm. and some of that has to do with some of the things we've spoken Um, I'll start with a question, and you can.
3: Let me start with a comment. Can I do that? Of course. Before I came up, uh, Nancy Nichols whispered in my ear, are you coming out now? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what the third part of these series are. (laughs) And I said, uh, no, I'm delighted to say that uh, Cap Church has come out and is telling the
0: truth, and I'm so grateful. So tell us about your experience in terms of your clinical work, um, your pastoral work in churches, the academy. Give us a sense of some of the changes or waves or currents around some of the things we've been speaking about in the last few weeks.
1: In a hundred
3: words or less. (laughs) I've been involved in some intimacy with. gay people for 50 years. When I was a youth pastor, I met um, gay boys, young boys, 16, 17. When I was a pastor of a large church, we were on the front page of the Vancouver Sun for being a gay-hating church. Flynn Ritchie back there with Christian Info, formerly called. Helped us out very much with trying to put a different narrative forward than Doug Todd had put forward in Vancouver Sun. Um when I came to CAP Church I told the elders I would not be involved in gay advocacy of any kind and uh, I would leave it to other pastors on the North Shore if they felt it was important and they asked me why and I said, because I, I don't believe um, that gay people are any less than anyone else. I also don't put gaydom in the category of sin or fallenness. I put it in the category of anomaly. And there's a lot of anomalies. Um, now, people typically, I've been a, a kind of gay advocate for 10 or 15 years. Um, speaking of organizations and churches and trying to help churches come to some kind of understanding on this issue. Um, And I came to the perspective that I have not from seeing people primarily, people assume that, that I have have compassion for gay people, which I do. But my reason for... Um, an important change for me was studying the scripture. And one of the scriptures was taught about briefly by Todd earlier tonight on Romans 1. Romans 1, I think most theologians would say, is called the tract theory. That is, Paul picked up a tract much as we might do on Facebook and read it and so those damnation sections were probably Jewish damnations about Gentiles Mm -hmm. and it had nothing to do with sexuality. Mm -hmm. Todd is right in arguing that um, this is a book of grace So how did this straw man get in the front except Paul intended it to be there to communicate how important it is that outsiders be insiders. Now the whole pericope goes to chapter 2, verse 3, which is Paul's judgment on Jews, his people, that they would keep Gentiles out. Now I, I remember studying the thinking, fuck, (laughs) they've been lying to me. I had a dream, Uh, Todd doesn't know me well, he doesn't know I go on and on. (laughs) (laughs) And Todd, you may know I have one or two opinions (laughs) and uh, some of them are not fair. I had a dream, probably 10 years ago some of you remember that when I came to Cat Church on a dream, I've done much of my work on the basis of dreams. My life in ministry is based on a dream, different dreams all the way through my life. This dream was
1: <coughs>
3: one of the most upsetting dreams I've ever had. I woke up vividly and had dreamt that Jesus came to me in heaven and said, Patty, thank you for keeping the gaze out of the church. And I felt the cynicism and the sarcasm of God for what I thought, or I might have thought at one time was righteous. And I said, I'll never do this again." So, I have one issue in my ministry life, and it's um, inclusion. I don't teach. I don't preach. People don't ask me. (laughs) I'm not interested in it. I don't do seminars. I don't do conferences. I don't do anything. So I'd say, well, why'd you come here then? Because you're my church, and I would do anything for you. But Todd asked me to do this green orange thing, and I said no. Nope. I don't want to. I don't want. So you do get
0: asked. I,
3: no, I'm sure. <laughs> this is the one issue that's important to me, not. Please understand, not because of the LGBTQ people that I care about, but because of the church in which I care more for. And uh, I was listening to Stanley Howarwass today on a posting that Carol sent me. Stanley Har- Harawas says, and he's one of the great theologians of this century, 83 years of age, written more books than anybody, isn't he? he says, we're beyond post-evangelicalism, we're in the death of the church. And we just think it's going to carry on. And it won't. So everything is changing. Anyways, that wasn't your question. Um, That's okay. I have I have a follow up.
0: <laughs> did you? Some of this is self interest, but I, I get to ask. You, with uh, intense expression, talked about you know being lied to. Or, as a pastor in a community, an evangelical community, not just CAP but a broader church, did you feel pressure? Yeah.
3: The pressure for me, uh, I, don't, I have had a great privilege in the church. I have had a great privilege at Regent and at Carrie and churches yeah. and lots of things. I, I have felt terribly honored in a way that is uh, really quite amazing to me and to my background. I've been delighted. And um, any social organization forms fusion to define themselves, which Mm -hmm. needs to exclude others. So Mm -hmm. um, lawyers do that, they have purity codes within law or within schools or within churches. Mm -hmm. We all have them, and they're all quite legitimate to the degree that we are resilient around them. But the problem with the church is that they say God said it, and that Mm -hmm. makes a purity code that's too punishing for anybody. Uh, people who are punished by it and people who punish people by it. Yeah. It's just too hard to yeah. bear. Um, I think the greatest pressure for me is to resist fusion. To re- res- I have, I've done it poorly, to resist the, um, the institution, I mean that most broadly, the institutional obligation to believe like everybody else, yes. you're supposed to, mm-hmm. yeah. and it doesn't matter what it is. It's just that I'm supposed to be pro-American, and I'm certainly not anti. But that was clear when I was in my early days of Regent College. There were only 14 students then, wow. and uh, nine of them were American. So it's how it happened. And. Um, But I would call people sinners because that's what fundamentalists did. And I didn't (laughs) understand that Jesus did not So self-differentiation is the hardest thing for me. Um, When you go home from church and you feel exhausted, and I don't know if it's only pastors that feel that, but... (laughs) but I think a lot of people do, and it's supposed to be a place of rest, and worship, and Mm. comfort, and uh, good coffee. (laughs) Um, But when you go away exhausted, it's because of anxiety. The anxiety to believe, in spite of your thoughtful differentiation, is one of the problems of fusion. Fusion in the church, or fusion in academic institutions, fusion at Regent, or at Cary, is very common and you don't know it because it's ordinary at one point you say I can't take the anxiety anymore and you quit
0: mm, I, I want to get to you, you mentioned not preaching or teaching or leading conferences or uh, and yet you've spent much of your life doing those those things. Um, but what stands out to me as we were meeting but then particularly in this room with those preaching and teaching rules and calls that somehow um, I hate to say above but more than all of that uh, you are and were pastor. Yeah. And This question is, I think, to me, it's only safe in a way to ask in a pastoral context, so I'll ask you. And that has to do with what's come up here, and I'm thinking of all of you guys with this, this matter of repentance. We don't get to repentance without a sense of culpability and maybe regret, so I want to say mine and then ask you if you would be willing to either inform us on this or even personally share if if you can i never spoke a sermon against gay people i never when i was running a youth group or so i was like one of the good guys probably like now i can be like oh now people can go i, I sometimes think people who are in my youth group for all those years they're probably really impressed that i never did that now They don't think of me, but anyway. (laughs) Until I remember the words of Martin Luther King. So he's speaking about civil rights, and I'm going to use the dated language, so he uses the term Negro. It was the term that was used for black. I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in this stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and constantly advises the Negro to, quote, wait for a more convenient season. Um, I honestly don't mean it to give a nice convenient (coughs) regret that is like, you know, nicer without the edges. I still have some repentance to do over being moderate. So I wanted to say that and maybe either as a pastor to help us or to share personally what about culpability and regret? What do we do with it? What do you do with it?
3: Uh, Todd came up with questions I couldn't answer. (laughs) And I have them in front of me. I worked so hard today. I drank a whole cup of Coffee, trying to figure this out. <laughs> and um, so then I went to Diet Coke, and that didn't help either. So I told him I was going to um, uh, swivel my answers and hope nobody would notice. <laughs> I don't know about culpability, really. Um, I do have many regrets. Um, and maybe, and Carol would say, I, I seldom take myself off the hook of self-judgment, but I don't think, I, I don't feel morally culpable. I also think that God repents me, I don't think I repent. Now that comes out of Luke 15. These are non-clobber verses. This is the Himalayas of the scripture. The scripture is not flat. Amen. Leviticus and, judge, and Judges are not the same as the parables. Amen. The parables of Jesus are here. Leviticus is in the valley and you probably shouldn't read it. Especially not in Sunday school. there's four stories in Luke 15 and there's no repentance done by anybody but God the first one is the sheep 100 sheep one sheep gets lost that sheep gets a lot of bad press when you hear sermons about that sheep but Jesus obviously quite liked that sheep (laughs) because he picked it up and took home and left the 99 to look after themselves. That is a pretty powerful symbol for the LGBTQ issue. So that's one out of a hundred. And then there's, I think, some semi-senile old woman who loses a coin. Yeah. <laughs> and it falls under the carpet. And uh, she's so excited about it, when she finds it, she, I I assume, she spends the other nine in having a party for the one she found. (laughs) Now, the interesting thing about these parables is that the active figure in each one is God. God is the shepherd. God is the hysterical woman. Can you imagine Jesus saying about God that God is a woman? What does that say about your binary categories, for goodness sakes? And then there's the so-called prodigal son. Prodigal means exceedingly generous or exceedingly frivolous. It depends on context. And uh, the father was exceedingly frivolous. The son was exceedingly, no, the father was exceedingly generous. The son is exceedingly frivolous. The son comes home, and as he's coming home, he's role playing what he will say. Why does he go home? He's hungry. Number two, his servants do better than he does, father's servants. So he comes home. Well, if that's repentance, that's pretty cheap. What happened? is that the father raced out and repented the boy. He hugged him, he fattened the calf, gave him a ring, put the shoes on his feet. He repents. Us. Now then, the fourth parable, of course, is the uh, older son who believes he's done everything right Mm -hmm. in his life. He probably has not. But he thinks he has. By the way, the younger son was found out to be with prostitutes because the older brother said it. The younger brother, it wasn't even in that story. It was the older, righteous brother who's always projecting sex onto somebody else. Mm -hmm. What does that say about the church? We always see evil in the other. Mm -hmm. Father sends a servant out and then he comes out himself. One out of a hundred... One out of ten, one out of two, one out of one, and the judgment clearly falls on the righteous one. But God would even repent him, so it went out again. Now there's a fifth parable that's in my mind that's not in the Bible, and that God goes out and duct tapes him to a donkey and drags him in so he can hear the music and smell the perfume and see the women dancing or men dancing. And says, you have been repented. Hmm. Now that's more the gospel story than waiting for the rest of us to find out our sin and obsess upon us and feel guilty and broken. Now, you can find a lot of scriptures that will go against this theory, but you have to figure out what's the Himalayas. If you put Jesus against Leviticus, Jesus
0: warned every time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So with that, I mean I like it, and I know of course if, if you read the Gospels, the paralytic, the um, Ethiopian eunuch, the in the Gospels and Acts, the, uh, the the classic model we have of you know repent and then this and then this is, is not the conversion narrative that is that is standard. There is no standard one, and it certainly isn't that if there was. Um, so then, the steps. Forward. The steps forward would include. So I'm trying to picture it, and you can maybe help us help describe it for us as you see it. Especially if you have visions and dreams. Um, what I seldom have them,
3: now. Yeah. Okay. And it, because, um, you get you if you ask for dreams and visions. You need to be committed to doing
0: them. Mm-hmm. And
3: I'm not doing anything okay. anymore. I garden. <laughs> I, I share, but
0: I, by the way, I share this with you. Um, and probably many, some here do. Um, the place of a, of a dream or a vision is, is very important. I, I, so I resonate with what you're saying. So, but, so having said that, I agree that they're not necessarily frequent. And sometimes they are in the past. But that doesn't mean that there can't be pieces from those things that form something moving forward, especially if, if this one about the sarcasm, which is a very harsh. Um, and yet, there's love in there. So moving forward, we've spoken about how that would include some kind of joining, some kind of awareness that we have been missing the full acknowledgement someone else, whether they're already in our company, or whether we're meeting people. What does that moving forward look like? And how do you listen to those people to help, to help you and help us to do better and live out the, these hopeful visions we have in the future? How might they, listening to the other, inform how we move forward, or part of how we move forward? Well, I I don't think I know, and I'm pretty
3: sure nobody else does. Because we don't know what the church will be next year, or the year after. Mm -hmm. Um, I think CAP Church is placing itself in a position of uh, newfound wisdom, and joy, and delight. There's a fairly well-known Bible passage. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth,
0: and the life. I know this one. (laughs) Yeah. And no man
3: comes to the Father but by me. I'm saying it for the others. We all know you know it. (laughs) When I was at another church, quite quite a big church, and I had a lot of secretaries that protected me from people. Was not a pleasant experience. A woman who was quite a pain in the rear end came to see me because she said she wanted to join the church, which I didn't really want her to. <laughs> and um, there were others I didn't really want to be there either. And she got by my secretaries. Um, and she said, I want to join your church, but I want to know what you say about John 14, 6. That Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And she looked at me with that cynical, sarcastic, mean spirit, I'm gonna stab you if you get this wrong look. Do you believe that? And I was really intimidated. I mean you? Well, no. Okay. <laughs> And I said, yes, I believe that. And she says, okay, I can join the church. And I'm supposed to beat a drum or something. And then what I did say, well, you don't know what I mean by that. What do you mean? Jesus says, I am the way, you're not. I am the truth. You wouldn't recognize truth if it sat in your lap. I am the life, I'm making it happen in Booga Booga Land, in spite of you not sending missionaries there. And no one. Not you, me, or anyone else comes to the Father, except through me. And I didn't know where I got that from, but I believe it today is 25 years ago or something. I don't know how the rotten woman stayed in the church. She was a
1: pain in the rear end.
2: She always had verses Surprise. for me. Anyways,
3: I'm I'm sorry about my emotions. Don't walk. Well, yeah, you're supposed to say that. But I really am sorry about that. Are you? Oh yeah. I hate this. Why do you think I don't preach? Okay. I mean, one, I have not much well, to I say. I am not a very sense. good at it. Well, well, third thing is, I can't stand this stuff. Well, I'll tell you what. I only came because you said you'd buy me a bottle of good wine. <laughs> what?
1: Well, you, you told us you were
0: lied to before.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Kim, take it on a pulp of expenses. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, Patty. Um, I, I take you at your word for this struggle Uh, to communicate with words, and clearly you are gifted at that. But there's some, you know, obviously something bigger being communicated, and uh, I know from a distance your place at Cap, and uh, I have a sense as someone who is not doesn't know Cap even now super well, but I have a sense of something of of. A sense of why this is is meaningful, and your willingness to to put yourself in that in that place, and so uh, I I'm sure others will express it too. But I'm, I'm grateful. Are you um, cutting
3: me off now? I've got so much. To no, say. I'm going to give you
0: <laughs> definitely not cutting you off. What time is it? We still have questions,
1: and uh,
0: I, I like to see how others kind of yeah. All right, but. Um, I want to read a poem. Can I do that? You could read a poem, and then I'm going to ask you something else, too, okay. if you still be this is, to do it. Does anybody know... You have to do one more thing after the poem. Okay. And that is that you said you were going to do a blessing. Are you yeah, still got open that. to that? Yeah, uh, I got that. Do okay. you
3: know... Anybody know Kate Tempest? The gay Irish uh, folk uh, poetry shouter, word, word-snet? Rapper. Kind of rapper. Oh, really? No. So this is People's write. Faces. If you want to write this down... Write it down people's faces, just write that, Cape Tempest, and go listen to what the church is. I'll just want to read the refrain. It captured my imagination about five years ago, and it so summarizes my experience in the life of Christian community, both CAP and other churches. I just love her. Love, love, love her. Now, there's two versions of it. She rewrote it. Again, to apply to a different context, but the first one is the one you want to hear. Okay. Here's what I can't do it the way she does it because you do she the accent. slams the words. Oh, she's good, and I don't have the accent. Yeah. But here's the refrain. But it's so hard. We got our heads down and our hackles up. Our backs against the wall. I can feel your heart racing. None of this was written in stone. The current's fast, but the river moves slow, and I can feel things changing. Even when I'm weak and I'm breaking, I stand weeping at the train station, because I can see your faces. There is so much peace to be found in people's faces. Now that means everything to me. I have been asked to consult in numerous churches about how to connect with gay people. And they, this is what I do. So I, it, it, I don't get asked anymore because of what I do. Um, they ask and say, would you come and talk to us about the gay issue and Christian faith? And I say, oh, I'd just love to do that. It's really important to me. They say, great, let's set up a time. Would a Thursday night work, say from seven thirty to nine thirty, as if you could cover something like this in two hours mm-hmm. to a group of ten elders and others. Uh, uh, the elders. Um. So I said, Yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, um, we talk a bit and then they say, What's your honorarium? Actually I don't have an honorarium. He's really relieved. And I say <laughs> yeah. Oh I say, you're I so have a kind I have a salary, it's thousand dollars. Five hundred an hour? That's usually what they say back. I say Yeah, well, you know, what you're doing is you're setting up to trivialize everything I have to say. I can deal with Romans 1 way better than you can. And then you're going to fight me. And you've got your tradition, and I don't have one. And I'll upset you. But I know another way to do it. It's free. Oh, oh, that sounds really good. (laughs) The church loves to save money. So I said, well, okay. The free, but nobody takes me up on the free. Well, why not? How many elders do you have again? 10. I want you to interview 10. Each elder has to interview three LGBTQ people on five questions I will give you that are all ethical. So you can see the pastor I'm talking to, going through the numbers. Ten elders. Uh, he's thinking of the
0: next phone call. <laughs> Three
3: people. It's 30 interviews, an hour, five questions. Uh, can I do it in groups? No groups. Face-to-face? Yep, face-to-face. Not on the phone. Email? Nope. Face-to-face. See people like you can. Imagine yourself as being a pastor. Just go do that. And that will happen. Well, you bring back your reports, and I'll discuss it with you for free. Well, let's go back to the other one, then. And I said, let's set that up. And I said, well, my price is now $2,000. Now, this is honest truth. This is what I tell people. And then they give up on me. Because you must not trivialize people's lives. Making it an issue, Amen. You must see their faces. One guy said to me, "Where do you find gay Christians?" Oh, it's this new technology called Google. (laughs) You type in Vancouver Church, gay, whatever pops up. You phone them and say, "Patty Duclos sent me." Well, why do you want your name? Because I'm trying to repent. As you repent of my bad experiences, so. All right, that's, that's my answer to the question, didn't I? Well, the
0: Kate and that. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll remember the Kate Tempest as well. Uh, before we have questions, you had a blessing? Do you have the blessing now? All right.
3: Check out all these Oh, do need... you do the questions Tell first? Let's do
0: the questions first, because yeah. if they turn south, you still have to bless us. Okay. okay. Yeah. Anybody comments or questions?
4: An intelligent question, but what is I'm not gonna think of the word um, when the two things together, fusion. I don't fusion.
3: understand what you're talking about. Fusion is um, when um, well the anxiety is for me around these issues is loving God and loving people. My brother is finds it very easy to affirm gaze, uh, and always has, and because of his family his own family that kind of thing but he isn't trying to mind read God Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and so I come to church and everybody mind reads like I do and I have to believe what it is you believe and then I go home and I watch the NFL for two hours to relax from church and drink one beer Carol says (laughs) (laughs) and then I begin to think do I think this? Fusion is when you are required to think what I think because I think it. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the ways to hook you into thinking my way is for me to express emotion. It's one of the reasons I hate my emotions. I would rather be a scientist, but I'm not wired that way. Fusion is emotionally
0: based. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Other questions, questions or comments? Or- mm-hmm. Reflection. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna ask what else is in Paddy's notes. he not, so you said he had lots there and he still wanted to
2: say. And I appreciate
3: your emotion, by the mm-hmm. way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me ask answer that. I've got lots of thoughts about it about this issue. One of the things is that uh, we think the church is responsible for conversion therapy. Th- they're not. Um, the church is responsible for loving God and loving people. Mm-hmm. In the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual 2, homosexuality was a, was a yeah. medical condition.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: The Diagnostic and Statistics Manual 3 put it as egotistonic homosexuality, and that was the formation of conversion therapy. It was a psychiatric diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And egotistonic means that you aren't comfortable with your gayness and then you can go for treatment. The treatment they recommended was primarily church groups or other groups like AA or NA or something like that where they would treat you in group settings to cure your gayness. DSM three, they pulled it out. The church didn't change, they Mm. stayed. Now, that doesn't take the church off the hook, but let me tell you a misbelief we have about the church. We think we influence society and we don't. (laughs) Society twists us into knots. And we need to untwist it. And it isn't just society, it's it's our commitment. So that's a thought that I wanted to say. I was involved in a church that now, after the fact, was doing conversion therapy. At the time, uh, we, had a, we had 30, 40, or 50, what we called XK people, who were learning to worship and to pray and to, and to repent and to talk and to, and to work and to love. And now it's, and it was no conversion. It was no placing your Bible on your genitals and asking God to heal you. It was, not, it was not that. Mm-hmm. And yet um, society now says that that's what it was. It may have been in other places, but I had the great ex- I, great experiences. I remember sitting in my office, and this beautiful woman walked by and said, "Hey, Patty." And it was a man." And, and he came in, she came in and talked to me. And then in my clinical experience, I see a lot of gay, lesbian, and trans people. Mm -hmm. I see gay couples. I see a trans woman who this last year has become a man and married. I see deeply committed Christian people who go into church. The church says, your kind's not welcome here. This is not this church, it's another church. And I look at these people, I look at faces. What's that line? Yeah. What's that great line? Our backs against the wall. I can feel your heart racing. None of this was written in stone. And again, but it's so hard. Got our heads down and our ankles up. And then you see faces. Now the church, generally, not anti-church, I love the church, church has been my family, the church is my family, mm-hmm. is reluctant to see faces. They see ideologies, mm-hmm. which we call theology, but it's an ideology. We
1: mm-hmm.
0: have more time.
1: Fear and anxiety feed
3: into fusion. It's entirely that, Lynn. It's entirely that. Most of us, if we're sensitive, can sense anxiety in a meeting. If you cross the border going into the States and you ask what you've got in the trunk, Mm -hmm. I'll have dead bodies back there. (laughs) You know, I'm smuggling drugs and I'm a murderer, guns, (laughs) drugs, all things, that's anxiety. Anxiety is the source of fusion, which is the source of a kind of otherness to people. And um, yeah. and if we had a way to put away some of our anxiety and worship and study and enjoy, mm-hmm. anxiety is the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And just one other quick comment. That, you know,
1: I've heard a few of your sermons over time. Uh, <laughs> but, one thing really stands out to me. I, it was a number of years ago when you said something like, um, "We know Jesus is going to do His work, but we don't know how He's going to do His work." And for me, that's been uh, a movement for me towards freedom. Uh, that you know, that that uh, we don't know how He's going to do it. We just know He's going to do it. Um, and that I think that's been really for me in my own journey. That I think has been really key.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Very nice. Over the can I see: Over a number of years, Patty and I have had coffee, and, and um, I know often talked about Cap Church and, and this happening at Cap Church and how much you were looking forward to this day when we came out. For, so how are you feeling about that? Well, last, last Wednesday was one of the highlights of the last 20 years. It was uh, the theology was tremendous from both of your pastors. The community of affection was great. The demand for many of you do it now, do it now, was my spirit. Um, That's what I feel. Uh, It was um, it was the church coming out of the closet. Yeah, amen. Totally loved it. Thank you for asking me. Thank
1: Thank you, you. Uh, Can you? I'm curious. uh, Can you
3: think of? And describe if there's been such a thing. Um, another like societal change or pressure that has been that the church has like pivoted on, such as we might hope that the church does on a grander scale in this way. You know, like in the past, whether it's in the last decade or in the last century, or whatever. well before that, the finest example. Of societal repression, societal conversion and repentance is Acts 15, which is the story of the inclusion of the Gentiles into the Jewish community that responds to the Romans 1 passage. Acts 15 is absolutely a stunning view of what the church should be. And I don't know many others that are that unbelievably brilliant. You need to know in Acts 15 there's two conflict passages. One is the conflict with Gentiles becoming Jewish believers following Jesus which is a bit confusing for us, but that's what was happening. It's a well-crafted piece of literature and the conflict was resolved by a couple of propositions which seem to be throwaways. You know how people say, well, as long as you polish your shoes, you can come for dinner. Yeah. And so you, he polishes his shoes and comes for There's a couple of yes. cheap throwaways, three, I think. And then the whole world changed. Yeah. There would not be no capture to no meeting on this yeah. Wednesday night if it wasn't for Acts chapter 15. It changed the whole world. Now there's a second conflict passage. And that's Paul and Barnabas who are so bad-spirited. I mean, they're miserable twerps. And they fight, and then somebody's, poor John Mark, he's such a wimp. I mean, they just go on and on. And then the church said, just go away and do your job. And they were both successful and came back. And that says another thing to me. You don't have to do it well. You yeah. just have to be willing to go and do it. Mm-hmm. And the church grows. Mm-hmm. So that Acts 15 is absolutely crucial to the life of the church and how we uh, enjoy love and be loved by lesbian gay people
0: Yeah. and you know you know, in answer to adding to that that more contemporary like historically mm-hmm. um, you've all heard these examples right the church's conversations around things like civil rights and slavery mm-hmm. I don't like the phrase the wrong side of history it's a loaded thing that but um, the the place of people like us in rooms like this is on many issues has been.
1: Yeah.
3: This really is good, you know. I've been to a lot of churches who can't do this. Now someone said to me, I think her name's Kim.
1: That
3: sure. <laughs> you probably think this should have happened a long time ago. I, I didn't answer you, but I don't. It takes a long time to change mm-hmm. corporate think and minds it takes a lot of discussion yes I came to it out of a dream it was very powerful and other experiences but it's just one person
1: mm-hmm.
3: to yeah. move a community takes time and this is absolutely the
0: right time oh, thank mm-hmm. you yeah. that's so gracious, um, can you share your blessing? Don't you want me to say more? No. Okay. <laughs> I could never preach in 20 minutes. Yes. Everything I think, I think is important. <laughs> I, I
3: do you have that problem? I do too. I know you do. Yeah. yeah, but yours is not good. Mine is. Good. <laughs> so I wrote this blessing to a regent grad, a woman pastor, who felt the denomination she was with never blessed her. And last Wednesday, I I, I just, I had, she's a client of mine, and I had, uh, anyways, I did it online with her husband, anointing her with oil, and it was kind of a nice thing, she's a thousand miles away from here. And then I thought last Wednesday, this is maybe for you too, so here's my blessing to you. If you want it, I can send it to Todd and Kim, and you can do what you want with it, but these are scripture verses. Uh, Strung together.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. When the Spirit comes to upset your convictions and upend your securities, may you speak benedictions in the heart languages of the anybodies who happen by. That's action. As the Spirit and Bride say, come, and you answer, come as well, may your life be filled with the intimacies of cooperating with God. Revelation 22. As you lead in spirited differentiation and simple thoughtfulness to this other or that other, May your anxious conflicts be resolved such that Christ is revealed and that your leadership is observed. Ephesians 5. May you discern the least, last, lost, and little as well as the nearly dead in the discoveries of your work. And may sheep be brought home the aged find what they have lost, and the rebellious and the self-centered be repented of by God. And may you know how to live your life between the wolf and the lamb, led as by a child. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. How do thank you? You're, You're welcome. welcome. Yeah, thank you. Howdy. You're welcome. Yeah. Kim.
2: Left. Um, you can stay just want to give all of you a chance send um, to ask any final questions that you might have. Um, and I have a little thing just to, to say. I Maybe mean, I'll say it now and then you can, you can respond. Um, it's fantastic that Patty uh, mentioned Acts 15. Uh, it's no coincidence that we're working through Acts right now. Um, And that beautiful story, that beautiful event, that discerning event that happens in Acts 15 is absolutely decisive, and yet, it's still messy for a little while yet after that. There's still some skirmishes (laughs) to be fought and still some opposition that Paul encounters. And so I think I want you all to hear me say that we, we have not completed something, we've actually just started something. Um, that that there, there are ways that we have to learn to be a welcoming and inclusive church. So you can say, hey, we are, but we're just beginning something. We're just learning. And so I think I'm asking you to continue in this journey. Uh, and we don't have any plans as to what that looks like. Um, I'm not going to be wearing a rainbow t-shirt on Sunday. Um, But there may be ways that we're going to need to be welcoming that will be uncomfortable for us. I don't know what that is yet. I don't have anything in mind. I think I just want you to consider, are we willing to to be uncomfortable for the sake of someone else feeling comfortable? Mm -hmm. Um, And also that there may be some ways that we as a church need to make um, amends um, not in a like a breastfeeding kind of way but just to be thoughtful as people who follow Jesus who know that there has been harm caused to others in Jesus' name maybe there are some people that were meant to approach to to listen, not not to apologize first but actually to listen to, to maybe do what Patty suggests and find someone and take them out for coffee and find out what what how they see the world as a gay person as someone who who's been harmed perhaps, or not harmed, but just to hear their experience. Um, I have been talking with Beth, this friend of mine, um, at the Open Way Church, and asking her what she could imagine that it would look like for us to make amends. Because when I told her about our process, she said, that sounds great, but there might be a next step, and I don't know exactly what that is for your community, but, but just there might be a next step. So I asked her to say a bit more about that and so I'm reading to you now from her, from her email. Um, she says, maybe it's about a donation to a queer organization as reparations. Maybe it's owning the harm in some kind of service or ritual. It might depend on what the individuals involved are comfortable with or would find meaning in. And here's a part that I really want you to hear. I think most queer folks would just appreciate even a fumbling attempt to grapple with harm instead of the usual church change process, which is essentially to say, we're affirming now, everyone congratulate us for this big step and come back and worship here now that you're more welcome.
4: <laughs> oh,
2: so, I, I don't know what the answer is, I just know that we want to lean into to that. And, and I've already been in conversation with some people here who are interested in being a part of that conversation. Um, prayerfully, thoughtfully, playing the long game here, not the you know five steps and we're done. But if you're interested in being a part of that next yeah. conversation, I, I would love you to contact me. Um, I think I also want to say that Todd gets credit for the name, which is like wider embrace, because I was like, I don't know what we call this. And, and I love it because this idea of a wider embrace actually includes not just LGBTQ right. people. Mm-hmm. And even me pressing into this a little bit is, is helping me that has exposed my need to embody this posture in relation to all kinds of other people. Um, those who have been harmed and excluded and marginalized by the church. So I think I want to invite us to, to have this like to walk in a wider embrace with, with, with um, not just one particular conversation, but, to moment, but to prayerfully consider what that means. For us to be a church of a wider embrace be a wonderful thing. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, um, questions for us as leaders for Todd or I for the governance team who have been very much a part of, of this, of this, um, these convictions that we have now. What what questions might you have of us before we end tonight? Or comments? Can can have can comments I make a comment? Yes. Can we all consider
4: Jan and her conversation she's going to have with one of the people from the Lazarus Society that is questioning her the, 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 the uh, not her specifically, but the um, education process around the discology program. And um, Jen will handle it very well, but you know, it's people that we want to maintain a relationship with and they're good people. They're really
2: right. good people. So this is a great example. So Jen Olhauser yeah. is in a, is, we support Circle of Care of course and so Jen gets to bump up against all kinds of different Christians in this context and so I think a conversation around the fact that Jen was the school teacher and part, and, and. and SOGI curriculum, right, the, the curriculum that's in schools around sexual orientation, Jen was feeling the need to give answer to that, and it, it um, mm-hmm. t- t- Pardon me? Who is she answering to? To someone else who's on the board of the Circle of Care, and so uh, she handled it very well, I think, but these are the kinds of conversations, <laughs> I mean, this wasn't even Jen as a, a captured person, this was just Jen as a person in the school system who was supportive of the curriculum around these things, but there may be some more conversations that we will
1: She's having uh, I think that's coffee on Saturday, Saturday say, yeah, Saturday yeah. Well.
4: we will pray for her,
1: it's so <coughs> a good yeah. example
2: of what we're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Any other questions or comments? I just anything? want to thank you, uh, Kim, um, for the way this has been led the last three mm-hmm. weeks, for the spirit
1: that's been here, and I think it comes from you and Todd and teaching and the way you've handled it, so uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. It's the mic
0: privilege? Yeah. Well, and we've mentioned, and you guys have had these conversations too, you know, like the three of us know, um, that leaders, speakers, pastors do something like this and then ask themselves, okay, so what's it going to feel like? When it, and right from the first night, it backing up what Patty said, that the leadership uh, comes from... From the, from from out here, and so it just made it easy. So the gratitude always works in all the directions.
5: I have a question from like your like your 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 readings from top scholars who are against all this. Like what what are they seeing? That's a good question. Because as I listen and try to be humble and learn about a rounded discourse, am I waiting for... I'm never going to hear anything from that side, like there's nothing as compelling as the things we're talking about? Well, I'm humble that I may be missing something, like you were saying earlier, you know, Lord, if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. show me. Yeah. Same here. What Patty says is a great question. What 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 are our top scholar brothers and sisters at Ream? Because we're probably still a, like, a minority church in this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I we need to have a voice. I, I, need to, I probably got a radio. I'll fire on brimstone. It, <laughs> 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 it like, it's
1: like people that I love a lot, that I, yeah. I look up to, yeah. that yeah. I
5: respect even more than Patty.
3: <laughs>
1: well, now you got Smart. some leeway to ask that question. <laughs> you just give me the runway.
2: So I'll answer first, just because you know I'll tell you what I know, and these guys probably have more to say about it. I I think that part of part of the conversation is if you if you limit if you if you say okay I want to I want to only look at the Bible from the lens of where is this issue discussed. So that's like six passages, right? and you start there, you don't look anywhere else, and, you, and you're probably, I'm gonna stop the recording maybe now, you're probably male and straight, and you look at those passages, only those passages, and you say, you know, I'm not gonna bring my human experience into it, you maybe don't even know somebody who's gay, and you look at the Greek behind those passages, and you, you can maybe construct an argument based only on those passages. But there's, I mean, there are lots of questions around those particular Greek words. You, you, any, any scholar will tell you it's not 100% clear. They're not words that are used that much. And, and they indicate specific practices that took place in a culture. So at that point you decide how much of those things transfer to our time, right? So, so it's limited number of passages, it's specific uh, connections between a culture thousands of years ago and ours that, that make
0: it so that you can make that connection? You, what would you add to that? Uh, I, Andrew, like you, I, I can have deep respect for, for people who think very differently, into, including scholars or, or you know, theologians that are doing good work. Um, I think my sense of humor can help in that um, I tend to say, oh, so you're saying what you think is also what God thinks. Um, and then I get a little, little more distrustful at that point. And I have mostly heard that from one side. I've heard one side is extremely protective. And that's where I go back to, I think the way of Christ will show us something better, and we don't need to protect anything, and I'm done protecting so I can have deep, deep respect for them, but I won't play the game of. You get, you get to do the litmus test on me. I've kind of grown past that. <laughs> well,
3: Andrew, I'm not gonna say that I feel very kindly towards you you
1: respect that that sort of hurt
3: but don't worry I'll get over it soon I don't think it's an issue of intelligence the most intelligent people aren't even Christians so that isn't intelligence it has to do with a deep devotion to Jesus Christ it has to do with a broken heart It has to do with intense suffering. It has to do with identification with the cross. And that doesn't mean others don't do that and come up with different convictions. I think Christianity is um, very broad. I think interpretation of Scripture is very broad. And I don't judge the salvation of someone who has a different perspective than I do. I just think they're in a fusion, anxious system and don't think anymore. I think it, 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 uh, I know very, very bright people like Hauerwas which I listened to today who's 80-something who had a bipolar wife and suffered immense pain immense pain and that helped him change I had a Romans prof Book of Romans who was one of the leading scholars and he could not see the text because his father grandfather and great-grandfather, were Baptist theologians, and he was told what to think. Mm -hmm. And he had to get on his knees and repent of God, of his believing more in his family heritage, and then he saw that women could be included in leadership in the church. Mm -hmm. Now, how does that happen? He's smart as can be.
0: Mm -hmm. A broken heart. Thank you. It's a good question. I
4: I would just like to say, it's been said quite a few times tonight, I think the big thing is to listen to people who are gay. Really listen hard, get to know them, become their friends, understand their journey, Mm -hmm. and it just opens your heart. Mm -hmm. And you just can't help but love them and recognize that God loves them way more than you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's enormous. There's one story Patty hasn't told tonight, but I think it's pretty impactful for you, honey. And that was—he uh, dropped us Pat, David, and I off at okay, church that we, we went to for well, well, maybe I can tell the story. Um, and it was going through a process of great, great, great inclusion. Of blood. You guys know the story, right? and, and a, a marvelous journey. It's been hard for them, but they got to that place. And were kicked out of the Mennonite churches as a result of it. You know, so it cost them a lot more than it's really costing you guys because you're independent. That's right. You know, you don't have the the financial ties that they had. But Patty dropped David and I off there one Sunday morning and decided he was going to go for a ride on his electric bike. So he took off down to wherever, through the city, and ended up in Stanley Park. If I'm getting the story wrong, just interrupt me. hmm? Um, And he got off his bike because he saw this crowd of people and wondered what the heck was going on. got off his bike and wandered along. And this guy, didn't look like a guy, woman came up to him dressed in a woman's attire but with a male voice. And a blonde beard. And a blonde beard. Yeah. It kind of oh, looked I about a straight looking guy. What, what, what are you doing here? I think oh, I, know I, know I just this. saw you guys here and I thought I'd check it out. <laughs> and you talked to him for quite a while and and just cared deeply for him and listened to his story. Mm-hmm. And and by the end he said to Patty, Can I give you a hug? and in the middle of Stanley Park with all these other people around. Yeah, this so guy with blonde beard and all the women's clothes gave him a big hug. Mm-hmm. And Petty wandered around among the people and came across Beth, Oh, mm-hmm. your dear friend Beth, and Beth's partner. Mm-hmm. And um, they, were, they were doing the church, isn't that correct? Well, they had a booth, and they asked me, would you like communion? Well, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Crack me open, why don't you? (laughs) So they served him communion in the midst of all of this, in the midst of Stanley Park. That's a beautiful experience for Patty. And then he turned and said, and can I serve you guys communion? So he served them communion in the middle of all of this in Stanley Park with all kinds of shapes and forms of people with varying degrees on the spectrum of sexuality, and he just mm-hmm. loved them. Mm-hmm. And so my sense is that's really what we need to do. Mm-hmm. The people that I've been in who are gay just want to be listened to and understood. And I, I've really been touched by their stories, mm-hmm. um, love them, feel connected to them in ways that, I don't think you find that unless you actually yeah get out and reach out to people. And otherwise, there's a wall there that says, these aren't people I want to have anything to do with because there is a judgment that's still there in the way. So I just...
3: Thank you very much, church. Nice to be with you for these hours. Uh, God bless you. for us all. Um, I love the way that Patty
2: talks about the church changing. And so here's a, a prayer in times of change that um, Lord uh-huh. and I will bless us with it as we as we go. A prayer in time of change. God of yesterday, we knew you then. Your promises, your words, your walking among us. But yesterday is gone. And so today, we are in need of change. Change. And change us. Help us see life now, not through yesterday's stories, but through today's. God of endings, what we thought would not end, has ended. And we find ourselves here wondering where we are and how we got here and where to go from here. Be with us here at the end. Help us place our feet on this ground. Help us lick our wounds. Help us look up and around. Help us believe the story of today. Because you know all about the endings of today. And you are not afraid. Changing God, you change your mind. And we too change our minds about you. We want to change toward the better. Change with us because we know you want to. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.